This is the second part of Miss Doggoggle's Winter Solstice episode. For the full experience, please be sure to listen to part one before continuing. And now I suppose we'll segue into my Christmas witches, my Yuletide witches, rather. So one cannot discuss the personification of winter and cronehood without discussing Frau Halle, also known as Mother Holda and Frau Perchta. Or Berchta. With a B. It depends. It's all very regional. So, her most well-known form is as Frau Halle. Grimm, of the Brothers Grimm, says she's a goddess of earth and weaving, very similar to the Kyliak. And in Swabia and Slovakia, she's known as Frau Fust, the Lady of the Ember Days, a time for fasting and prayer. But known as Frau Halle, Frau Halle, Frau Halle, in the regions of Hesse and Thuringia, to the northeast of Frankfurt in Germany, anglicizes Mother Holda. She's often depicted with tumbled hair or a tangled distaff for spinning. And again, the Brothers Grimm call her a witch. And in her most famous appearance, she's famous for rewarding two sisters with exactly what they deserve. The hardworking sister is showered with gold, which covers her skin. While the lazy sister gets nothing more than a kettle of pitch emptied right over her head. <laughs> Incidentally, of course, the hardworking sister was said to be beautiful, while the lazy one was ugly. It's thought that Mother Holda or Frau Hala brought snow to the earth each winter when feathers flew into the air as she made her bed. And in many common depictions, she is seen as a crone with a hunched back. And she has the ability to make herself larger or smaller at will. Cool. In Alpine regions, Frau Perkta, meaning bright or shining, can either be young, pale, and beautiful, like Snegorochka, or an <laughs> elderly hag with one large foot. Some say that of a goose or a duck. Uh, she would check that each maiden had spun her allotted portion of flax for the year in wintertime, used as a punishment against a lazy approach to spinning work and a warning against spinning on holy days. Where huh. have we heard that before? Huh. She soon developed into an entirely different kind of punisher with Perchta visiting homes during the 12 days of Christmas rewarding good children and servants with a silver coin in their shoe. Yet, slitting the bellies of uncouth <laughs> little brats, removing their innards and stuffing them full of old straw and stones for their trouble. In the Middle Ages, folk would leave out food for the figure in return for good fortune, and some still leave out a bowl of porridge for Frau Halle today. It was said that anyone eating a morsel of food other than the allowed fish and gruel on her feast day would have their bellies split in two. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I and... have... Oh, 
Sorry, I just I do. Ha- do you have anything about uh, Percha's entourage? Yes, I was just going to go. Okay, into that. perfect. Do it. Yeah. Go for it. So, in some alpine regions today, people still will dress up as Perchta, accompanied by a brood of animal masked Perchton. They trail through the snow, ringing bells in a Krampus-like fashion in the Perchtenlauf, or processions around midwinter through to the Epiphany, and today in Fushnacht carnival parades early in the year. Many call her the guardian of the beasts. But in other areas, people dressed as Eisenberta and other versions of the winter hag, giving candy and nuts to good children, yet hitting the naughty ones with a rod, all the while swinging their cowbell. And Grimm also tells us that Frau Halle rides after the hunter, presumably in the wild hunt, as do Perchta and her other embodiments, who are all really, honestly, just different variations of a theme. She's basically the same being, just with different names. Uh, And, presumably, chasing after these hunters, she leaves a whirlwind in her wake. Anyone who sees her in this procession will either go mad or blind. Wow. Mm-hmm. She's pretty serious about her parades, it seems. She likes to do it her way. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> her way or the highway, yeah. where it's questionable if the wild hunt could still find you there. I think maybe it could. It's funny that these, like, you know, pagan creatures who, you know, are depicted with, like, horns and long hair and, like, devilish features, like the Krampus and the Perchton, um, you know, like, their whole goal, though, is to, like, banish malevolent ghosts and things, but mm-hmm. they're, like, walking around with a lady who's gonna cut your stomach open. Like, mixed messages. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 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 pretty serious. Uh, it's almost like the precaution is so severe it's almost as horrifying as what she's trying to caution you away from (laughs) so it's pretty severe stuff um but again we touch on a lot of the same themes that we've been discussing there is a theme of kind of like this taskmaster who is you know rewarding uh, hardworking, dutiful, obedient, quote unquote, obedient behavior, mm. uh, and punishing anything kind of willful and deviating from the norm. I don't know how much of that is, um, you know, about helping to maintain survivability throughout the bleak of winter, and how much of that has been foisted upon these legends by, you know, Christian patriarchy, kind of using yeah. it as a, a way to kind of instill fear in children during <laughs> during the Yuletide season and make sure that they are obedient among, you know, above all else. But that also brings me to Gryla, the monstrous giant of Scandinavian tradition. Um, so Gryla is an ogress and she is a giant troll witch with many tails, hooves instead of feet, 
and an insatiable hunger for human flesh. Her favorite meal is naughty little children, and she makes a seasonal delicacy by trundling down her mountain each Christmas Eve to collect her fill of all of the local little children. Uh, she's also the mother of the infamous Yule Lads, who Psykea mentioned earlier. And these are mischievous trolls. There's about 12 of them. And each one are named after annoying habits. And when one leaves, another one comes in. One is like door slamming. The other one is like, you know, talks too loud or, you know, basically things that are a nuisance, but not really horrible things. Um, just kind of like mischievous. And so these are mischievous trolls who play pranks in the lead up to Christmas with one appearing each day to hail the big day. So it's like that song, the 12 days of Christmas only instead of 12 days. We're not getting any partridges, no pear trees, <laughs> no rings, no ladies dancing, but there's going to be a hell of a lot of door slamming going on. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of that. There's going to be a lot of shouting. There's going to be a lot of like mismatched shoes and um, all sorts of just little nasty things going wrong. And Gryla is from the Scandinavian school of folklore and she is generally seen as a being this really terrifying reminder to be good and dutiful all year long and you know not screw up um, because if you do you're gonna get it and again this is just another example of the trope of the winter witch bringing punishment upon the unworthy defined as being those who don't work enough or you know don't follow the rules and you know rewarding uh those who are good little children um in Gryla's case she isn't really seen as being much of a rewarder Really, the only reward she gives you is she will not eat you. So, you know, you get to live another day, and that's good. But, you know, she, if you, if you are bad, uh, you're going to get it. And she's going to get you. But not all of these winter witches are necessarily evil or figures of retribution. There are, that does seem to be the common theme really throughout the world. Uh, we go mm. all the way to the East and to Japanese folklore, and we see numerous subtypes of the Yukiona or the Snow Woman. So we see the Yukiona herself, who is the Snow Woman, a ghost or vampire who drifts across the snow during snowstorms as a beautiful woman, sucking out the life essence from anyone she meets. And this is basically a lesson in numerous different prefectures and regions of Japan that you need to obey the mountain law. And the law of the mountain really is respect nature, respect the timing, um, don't go out in a blizzard, don't act a fool thinking that, you know, you're going to like 
score some grade A rabbit meat or something because you're not. She's going to find you, she's going to kill you, and that'll be it. Um, The mountain law also says that wintertime is when the gods visit the land. So there is an air of respect and awe that comes with the winter in Japan and with the Japanese ice spirits. We also have a a variation of the Yukiona is the Surara-ona, who is literally the icicle woman. And she appears after a lonely man has stared wistfully in an icicle, at an icicle, wishing for a partner of his own who could rival its beauty. Because icicles are very pretty. They're dangerous, but they're also (laughs) quite lovely. These tales always end with either the wife melting or leaving at the beginning of spring, only to return and find she's been replaced. So what does she do? She avenges her husband's infidelity by stabbing him with a beautiful shard of ice. That's a great story. I love that. (laughs) And then also, finally, we have the Oshiroi Baba, or the Japanese face powder hag. Uh, Similarly, descending from the mountains in winter are these snow hags of Japanese folklore, often called the face powder hag because they wear heavy white face makeup like that worn of Geisha and Maiko said to be the servants of the goddess of cosmetics. They sport tattered kimonos and drag mirrors behind them descending into villages on snowy nights. And one reference relates how they bring a reviving drink of sake to anyone in need of some warmth. So see, that's a nice bit of of yuletide cheer, of winter cheer. And while there's no evidence that that was a traditional folktale, it certainly makes you feel a little bit better about the reputation that a lot of these snow spirits have. Uh, another one tells that during times of starvation and famine, these powder face hags will come down and they will wash rice in a well. No matter how much rice she removes from the well, it would magically refill as long as there was a single grain of rice left in the bucket, allowing her to feed all the people of the land. So this I felt was a rare instance of kind of like a more uh, caring, generous source of a very rare abundance during a time of scarcity in winter. Um, But I thought it was really uh, sweet because, you know, although she is a crone and she's connected to winter time, she's also connected with like kind of just taking care of people and like, you know, giving them a leg up and i thought that was really nice and and different because we've seen the same theme pretty much universally and so uh that was a nice variation and that's all for me yeah i think uh the crone or hag figure is in reality multifaceted but the patriarchal society that we live in likes to portray her as having only one facet which is unfortunate and I feel like everyone has their own experience with grandmotherly figures in their life you know the crone is not only the old 
antisocial hag. She is also a grandmother. She's also the motherly figure. She's also a caregiver, a nurturer, and... Teacher. Right. And that's why I think that we should also talk about the conflation going on between the death mother archetype and the dark mother archetype because I see that happening a lot. I know a few people have done some really in-depth amazing articles on the subject, but um, I feel that we should talk about that while we're on the subject of the crone or hag or solstice witch because the death mother is a very different figure from the dark mother. But first, a message from our sponsors. Just kidding! We don't have any sponsors! But we do have a donation button on Red Circle if you'd like to help us afford our web hosting for the upcoming year. Or you can help support independent bookstores along with the podcast by making your next book purchase through our curated storefront on bookshop.org. Also, we're excited to announce that we'll be opening up a new shop on TeePublic with some ridiculous new paranormal, witchy, and queer empowerment designs. So be sure to like and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram for updates. And if you're enjoying this episode, consider dropping us a positive review or sharing it with a friend to help us grow our audience. We deeply appreciate your support, which helps us to ensure optimal woo-to-you content in the future. And now, back to the killing. I mean, <laughs> our regularly scheduled program. We are the Mystic So, the Death Mother is an archetypal energy coined first by Jungian analyst Marie-Louise von Franz and elaborated on by Marion Woodman. The Death Mother is, in simplest terms, the dark side of the mother, but not dark in terms of evil, which there is this great conflation symbolically between the darkness and evil. Uh, but this is not what is intended to be communicated. I would even venture to say that this is more the shadow side, not necessarily the dark side, but it is an inverted negative side. Um, this is the cold mother, the resentful mother, the mother who didn't want to have children, the mother who has not mothered herself, 
or who was not mothered properly by her mother, the addicted mother, the depressed or anxious mother, the rejecting or abandoning mother, uh, a mother who has lost touch with her own soul, the very critical mother. And this is kind of the extreme side of the mother archetype who is for all intents and purposes, you know, really just projecting out that negativity that she herself has experienced and not really been able to successfully fold into herself and learn from these experiences, grow from these experiences. She's internalized them, she's internalized a lot of negative self-talk, and she has perhaps unconsciously, very likely unconsciously, decided to project it outwards and perpetuate this cycle of suffering and manipulation, putting you down, making you feel like shit, belittling you. And this is very different from the Dark Mother, who is in essence a perfectly realized version of a fully actualized human being uh, who has gone through her own share of dark times and incorporated them into her own repertoire of life skills, which she uses to project outwardly as compassion, as wisdom. She is the one who holds us in dark times of grief, uh, during initiations, healing, times of pain, winters, dark nights of the soul. She is the wise crone who offers her hard-won wisdom to those who will heed her whispers. And she is a compassionate soul. Uh, she is the dark womb that nurtures and helps you put yourself back together. She's the voice of experience. So you do have this dichotomy between someone who has, let's say, these two points really diverge. They've both suffered, and they've both dealt with a lot of bad things, grief, loss, pain, betrayal, resentment, all of that. And one decides to go one way, and one decides to go the other way. And the one that grows becomes the Dark Mother. And the one that kind of stays in stasis becomes the Death Mother. And so these are kind of two sides of the same coin. You know, you get to a point where you've accrued experience. But how you've incorporated it and to what extent determines uh, what that kind of, you know, aura will become that you project and really what your legacy will be. Yeah. I, th I think the Dark Mother encourages people to confront their fears. She She's like a figure like Hecate, mm -hmm. um, who, while she can have a foreboding quality, because I think a lot of people will describe their experiences, their encounters with her as being <laughs> alarming at first. Um, mm -hmm. Because there's the darkness, you know, but out of the darkness also comes healing and new beginnings. And the Dark Mother encourages you to experience your feelings and do your shadow work and mm -hmm. 
come out on the other side of it and to accept, I think, the changes that happen in life. Whereas the Death Mother is at constant, just constant distress at all of the changes around her, at all of the demands from her and um, the fear of the unknown, the fear of her at, at times her her own self, parts of her own identity which she tries to suppress rather than work through and I think the crone is sort of like a combination of both the hag as well as a dark mother figure um, oh. I, ideally you know she has the qualities where she's walked both paths and she has that perspective and I think it's really interesting there's a little bit of the death mother in combination with the dark mother in Bira's story in the, in the stories oh. of the Kaliak oh. because she is the earth mother of an entire civilization and of the land but as she ages she actually rages against the natural progression that her life is taking which become the seasonal changes and possibly she's also railing against the traumas she's experienced and against the stress <laughs> that is her unruly sons as well as trying to take care of all the people of the land and while she probably has some motherly instinct toward the people of the land she also sees them as an inconvenience at times she probably kills countless of her so-called children by raging in a winter storm or you know slinging rocks at them <laughs> and there's a sense that she doesn't have any remorse while she's doing that because she is stuck in the emotion of resisting that transition in her life and later on there's a story actually where she falls asleep and as a result inadvertently causes a deadly flood which kills a number of people because she's left uh, I think a, a wellspring uncovered and at that point, she does feel such shame about that mistake that she turns into stone. And when you think about a stone, it's not exactly emotionally turbulent. Um, it's tranquil and it, it's sort of resolute in a way. It's kind of like the Buddha at the end of his life. Um, accepting the cycles of time, accepting the changes that come. And the crone figure to me is someone who has worked in a productive way with those experiences in her life because she's, she's done the shadow work, she's persisted through the seasons and the hardships of her life long enough to have that perspective and wisdom and she's not perfect, 
you know, none of us are, even if we could drink an elixir of youth every spring, we still wouldn't be perfect. We all have mistakes that we've made that make us want to turn into a stone. I think those things, if we let them, like the forces of nature that shape the crone gradually over time, if we allow them to shape us without taking it in a counterproductive direction, then we'll end up with, at the very least, much witchier teeth and nails and things <laughs> for stabbing and terrifying Chomping. people over the yeah. holiday season. <laughs> at the very least. <laughs> so uh, another um, matter of interest might be the etymology of the words crone and hag. As a noun, crone entered the English language probably around the year 1390, deriving from an Anglo-French word, which I won't try to pronounce, that was an insult, derived from Old North French, meaning disagreeable woman, literally actually also meaning carry-on, which is terrible to call someone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Prior to the entrance of the word into English, the surname Hop Crone is recorded, which now I'm thinking about changing my last name to Hop Crone because how freaking cool <laughs> would it be <laughs> to have name. that for a last name? And then we have Hag, early 13th century, repulsive old woman. Uh, <laughs> probably. That reminds me of Rita Repulsa. <laughs> Probably from Old English, other words which I won't try to say, meaning witch, sorceress, enchantress, and fury. And there's also an element which could be derived from an Old English word haga, enclosure, portion of woodland marked off for cutting. And in Old Norse and Old High German, there are words related which mean literally hedge rider, used of witches and ghosts. We also have some like tie-ins with fairy, crippled woman, spirit, and to fly about, smoke, be scattered, or vanish. There's also the meaning diviner soothsayer, which were always female in Northern European paganism, and hagatess seems to at one point have meant woman of prophetic and oracular powers. And so cool. a lot of associations with being the wise woman of the village, in addition to this, uh, you know, repulsive description that you always see. Well, because I think this goes back to this, like, the truth is not always pretty or pleasant. And so, by extension, a straight shooter who shoots straight from the hip, you know, and says it like it is, she's not going to be very popular with people, maybe. Like, I mean, she will with, like, smart people who are able to kind of, like, you know, get that, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, it might sting a little to hear, but it will help me in the future versus someone who's like, how dare you, you know, and, and 
kind of like takes it in a way that's like, okay, well, who's this old biddy who's going to tell me how to run my life? She's nobody. And, you know, goes on a warpath type thing. I think a lot of that had to do with how they, you know, were given these, you know, horrible reputations that they did not deserve. I mean, I think that they were only trying to help, you know, but um, it goes down to that, like, you know, the etymology of the word too, like how, you know, something left on the fringes, something to cut. There are people who are living on the fringes who have in many ways in their societies, quote unquote, outlived their usefulness. And so they are really brought to the fire. And it's like, if you can't help me in a way that I like, then I'm going to ruin you on Yelp kind of thing. (laughs) Or it's like the medicine woman, the cunning woman, was always the one they went to. Oh, help me, give me a cure. I've got bunions, I've got, you know, encephalitis. I've got dengue fever, I've got whatever. I need an abortion. (laughs) I need an abortion, yeah. I need something to make me not impotent. I need something to help me with my balding. I need something, literally any egg, fever, plague, chill, you know, sprain, anything that was going wrong, they would go to these women to help. And when their help was, you know, helpful, they were great, you know? I mean, they weren't elevated to a position of power or anywhere like that, but they were certainly not persecuted then. But the second that it behooved these people uh, in some way, or they felt like they weren't getting enough from these women they would lash out and they would treat them and malign them treat them horribly and malign their reputations and use them as scapegoats you know and it was a really horrible um exchange you know i think that the crone has been through so much and to have to deal with that at that stage in life is just such a pain in the ass my god yeah i think it's a (laughs) incredibly valid point that the winter hag in her survival as a woman especially in the olden times Mm -hmm. would have been required to become that level of fierce over time in order to make it to a wizened old age Mm -hmm. at some point these winter witches become almost as wild, almost as changed by the landscape of their lives as the wilderness is itself. And then they're as fierce or fiercer than those wild things, than the winter. In essence, they are the winter. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of the winters that they've gone through and survived. I also think it's interesting that, as you were saying about society's um, unwillingness to take the crone figure seriously, the tendency to sort of dismiss that figure to the edges, to the hedges, it's interesting that the winter witches, the powerful 
terrifying crone figures will actually come down out of the mountains demanding respect, demanding justice, retribution, demanding to be taken seriously, demanding that the values that they tried to instill in humankind be taken seriously, be observed in the correct way. Um, mm -hmm. Just the requirement and request to be taken seriously as the crone seems to make them in inherently intimidating to representatives of the status quo. People yeah. who are, you know, just trying to have their little who fest and a slice of roast beast, and they're terrified by the thought <laughs> that they might still have to follow an old woman's rules and that, you know, failure to do so, failure to not be misogynistic might have deadly consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also interesting that we know what we do about these ancient winter witches primarily because um, Christian monks would be complaining about them so much in old texts. For instance, uh, Martin Luther, the former monk who kickstarted the Protestant Reformation, complained of the people's beliefs in Hulda, and he went so far as to really, really lay into her characterization as an ugly old woman, just to make his point that she was bad news and needed to disappear. Meanwhile, a medieval English monk named St. Betty, who I talked about before, spoke more vaguely of Mother's Night in the Reckoning of Time held on December 25th. And that's a quote from a grunge.com article about the untold truth of Christmas witches, but I think that um, refusal to just disappear <laughs> is also part and parcel to winter witches. You might think that they have disappeared into the woods, but come Christmas time, <laughs> you're gonna find out that they haven't and they haven't just withered away. Society may want to label them as no longer being useful to perhaps the male gaze or not being, you know, valuable members in a society when in fact they are valuable members of a society and they'll prove it to you by becoming scarier than the winter season. <laughs> Itself. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. I've got a really great quote I'd like to share with you guys from 78 Degrees of Wisdom by Rachel Pollock. And she is talking about the connection here. Um, I believe that now that is a book really about like tarot, tarot meanings, and the high priestess is um, usually. I think very connected to that figure of like the village wise woman, the, you know, old soothsayer, the crone who really just knows everything <laughs> and intimidates people. Um, so this is a quote from that uh, passage in the book. And it really just talks about how 
you know, motherhood was linked to the earth just as the sun's rays penetrate the earth. So the male organ penetrates the female to leave a seed in her mysterious womb. We can easily see how men came to view themselves as active and women as both passive and mysterious. People often link passive with negative or that is inferior and weak, but passivity contains its own power. It gives the mind a chance to work. People who only know action never get a chance to reflect on what that action has taught them. In a deeper sense, passivity allows the unconscious to emerge. Only through withdrawal from outer involvement can we allow the inner voice of vision and psychic forces to speak to us. It is precisely to avoid this inner voice that many people never rest from action and movement. Our society, based completely on outer achievement, fosters a terror of the unconscious. Yet without its wisdom, we can never fully know ourselves or the world. And so there you see a fear of the crone and what she represents at her core, which is passivity. You know, this restfulness in a very restless world where everything is just hustle and bustle and achieve and dominate and sales numbers and ambition and breakthroughs and meetings and, you know, all of this nonsense, which really, when you strip someone of that rigid type of regimented thinking, they just lose their shit. <laughs> and so I think the crone with her own set of kind of primal rules and sense of knowing that, you know, all of those things are very temporary means to an end. They are not the end in and of themselves. It just rattles them. They're, they don't know how to process it. So they're like, get away, get away from me, you old witch, you know, you are bothering me. And I do not like it. I don't want to confront it. And I think that's a lot of the prejudice that we see towards the crone figure. Um, but also there is the idea of <laughs> the connection between the crone and winter explored a step further um, as really nuclear winter. And uh, Kali, Yikes. who is really, yeah, <laughs> the ultimate crone goddess. And really uh, Kali, her color, and the color of the crone, whether it's the Baba Yaga or Hecate, is black. It symbolizes darkness, it symbolizes the night and quiet. Um, her moon is the waning moon, and she represents the winter of life and the nuclear winter in terms of the end of a cycle she would be the fourth of the yugas, which when we talk about yugas, we're talking about different cycles that the earth goes through. And the Kali Yuga is what we would refer to as the present age because Kali, the Hindu goddess of time, of change, of revolution, Kali the Destroyer brings the world to an end out of disgust for the world's sin and violence. The signs of oncoming doom appear. Old people, destitute of the true wisdom of old age, 
try to behave like the young, and the young lack the candor of youth. The bonds of sympathy and love have dissolved. Narrow egotism rules. And basically, <laughs> when that happens, you're just inviting destruction. And that's kind of where we see ourselves that's now. This, of are. course, is from the fabulous book Crone, which I've been reading for the past decade. <laughs> One day I'm going to finish it. One day. <laughs> I've referenced it numerous times on the podcast. Um, it's by Barbara Walker. Kali represents probably one of the darkest aspects of a goddess. If you think of the darkest aspect of a crone goddess, I would definitely go to Kali because she is very fierce. She literally wears skulls around her neck. She has six arms. She has weapons in each of them. She dances on her dead victims' bodies. And she just keeps going on. And, and she's not she, really... Doesn't she have... She's multifaceted also. You know, they don't pretend uh -huh. that she's only one, one yeah, face. Yeah, she has <laughs> several different incarnations. Yeah. And they are all fierce. And they bring around change. And they represent end death and I think that is really the penultimate lesson that the crone figure can teach us is that the only constant in life is change and that you have to get used to it and you have to embrace it whether it's wrinkles on your face or silver hairs creeping in or you know people who you love passing on or the world itself you know changing you've just got to kind of move with it and embrace it and learn from it and grow from it and not repel it away and pretend it's not happening or you know rally against the hands of time by getting like not that there's anything wrong if, if you feel like this is making you your best self like getting a little nip and tuck here but you also shouldn't be subservient to ideas that have been placed in your mind about how you should look forever we shouldn't worship the idea of youth um in terms of sacrificing the old or, or being disgusted by facets of that because you know it's really just a natural part of the cycle and to deny it is really kind of an offense to the crone I think and that's why you will see that a lot of like the death mother aspected folks will have a very difficult time incorporating that energy into their lives in fact I think that they tend to be <laughs> they react the most negatively to authentic crone energy because it's just so foreign to them and and horrifying and it represents the true finality of of things yeah and um it is horrifying but you know what it's also universal it takes us all so i mean isn't that kind of special i think though <laughs> it is it is and it's worth getting comfortable with because it's a fact of life. Mm -hmm. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both and there you have the facts of life. Doo -doo. <laughs> <laughs> Love that song. And so, the Crone Existence Society exist in the heart of the winter season, exist in ourselves, 
no matter how much society or the powers that be or familial relations or ageist ideals of youth and beauty and worthiness would and do still deny her, she persists. And on that note, speaking of her innate existence within society and within ourselves, what are some ways that people can approach working with our own inner crones this solstice and this yuletide season? So how do we better embody the crone in our day-to-day lives? How do we honor the crone in a way that is authentic and sincere and also in keeping with all of the positive life lessons that she has to give us? And when I say she, she's not really any gender. She kind of embodies Yes. every gender it's more of a stage of life um yeah, the a mentality definitely transcends gender yeah well i have a uh, i have bunions and arthritis so i've got that going for me <laughs> as far as whoa, embodiment whoa. of the crone <laughs> in my day to day well um one of the ways that i like to invoke the crone is by taking This is going to sound ridiculous, but I like to sometimes take an incredibly bad selfie where you just make yourself look as hideous as possible, right? And then you can can go two ways with this, okay? (laughs) You can just be ridiculous with it because I feel like that counts. Or once you've taken your bad selfie, you can try to make peace with it. You can just try to get comfortable with it. Try to do some shadow work around that and embrace your imperfections, embrace your aging process, and, you know, give yourself credit for the ways in which you've persisted against the hardships of life, because everyone has had things that they have had to go through and I think we don't stop and give ourselves credit for the ways in which we have become more whole in that process. We have become shaped into what we are and what we will be and um, I think having a sense of acknowledgement in that and a sense of acceptance for maybe the things about our appearance that we don't really like that much can be beneficial to anyone yeah, that's at any really, time. I love that idea. Especially yeah, over the holidays, you know, um, where you're expected to show up to all of these events, not so much now during the pandemic, but in general, you're supposed to like show up and be cheery and all of, all of that. And that's really difficult and we are all more than just that cheery image that we try to project (laughs) during the holidays and on social media um yeah so i I think just like sitting with that in introspection might be a good way to go additionally keeping the crone in 
the Yuletide season, I think a great way to do that would be to maybe create a holiday altar arrangement with a theme to honor ancestral crones within your line, or maybe just in general. Maybe, maybe ancestral crones from anywhere and um, make them part of your celebration in a way that they aren't <laughs> currently because <laughs> the Yule tends to be very patriarchal. You know, bring in those, those crone ancestral figureheads and um, maybe do some rituals around that. It's a great idea. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, both of those ideas are top-notch. If you want to go in the <laughs> La Befana direction, you can craft a kitchen witch for yourself who you can hang in your kitchen. I think a lot of people actually have kitchen witches, but mm -hmm. I think there's something to be said for the process of like taking some quiet time with a craft in a way that honors the crone figure in yeah. that sense. You know, like maybe even carving an apple head for your witch, which takes a long time. Like you have to, <laughs> you have to carve the, the apple and then you have to uh, dry it out and coat it with something, I think, and things. I've done it before, it's really fun. And you can get some really, really, uh, classic traditional winter witch type faces out of a dried carved apple it's really amazing <laughs> um the way that i sort of honor the crone as i mentioned my arthritis and bunions but uh <laughs> you know sort of like a the like a pain body element yeah you know like being old physically is like pretty painful if you're not exactly perfect about things in your whole life. Um, and also, I feel like it happens to you anyway. You yeah. Know, I know people who yeah. take perfect care of themselves and at some point, life is going to toss a little wrench into the system <laughs> for you. Because that's yeah. what happens at with minimum. <laughs> At the very minimum. So, a way to honor that could be just, like, a simple, like, warm bath, you know, throw some Epsom salt in there, just take, uh, you know, if obviously if all of this is accessible to you, but, you know, taking, you know, 30 minutes for yourself in a hot bath, either with some Epsom salt or, like, some oils that smell nice to you and just, like, let your body rest in a way that you don't normally let it rest is a good way to honor prone energy within yourself. That's a great one also. I used to do that on a weekly basis when I had access to a bathtub. Ugh. And I can highly it's recommend great. having like a you know, like a regular ritual of taking a bath in a ceremonial it's a good context. ritual. Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a great, certainly if you can do it weekly, do it. I have a way to honor the crone that kind of just came to me today when I was over at my mother's house, um, just visiting and picking up my mail as I do sometimes. And 
you know, I had back in the day, I just, uh, I used to wear a lot of different jewelry and stuff. And when I moved and, you know, got married and done all of this, I kind of left a lot of my stuff back there. And I had not looked at any of this stuff in years. So I honestly forgot what I had. But going through all of those things um, this past weekend was really kind of like, I almost felt like <laughs> like the old lady in Titanic when they bring her the <laughs> necklace and she's like, oh my god, it's been 83 <laughs> years. I felt like that. And, I'm like, and granted, this was like cheap costume jewelry. It wasn't, you know, the heart of the sea or whatever they call that necklace. But it was just like, oh my goodness. It feels so good to see you again, my little old friend, you know? And um, I think just getting in touch with, like, your old jewelry or old clothes or old things that you have lying around that maybe you're... Not that you've wanted to get rid of it, but you've just kind of forgotten about it because... Forgotten from, the value. You've forgotten the value. And then seeing it, you're reminded. And, you know things carry energy with them and when you see these things and you feel them again and they're near your person you you kind of like resonate with the energy and it reawakens all these memories and i think the crone is something is a figure that values memory and the importance of memory mm. and the importance of like an heirloom piece of jewelry or like a sentimental value you know there is something to be said for that and i think um really just kind of rediscovering your own treasures is a wonderful way to honor the crone and i think that she really gets a kick out of it too you know in in seeing like the old become new again and um having those memories come alive again especially if it's stuff that you know someone dear to you uh gave to you like your grandmother or your mom or you know whoever um but you know it brings back all of these fabulous memories and you know when i was looking for the through the jewelry i was even finding little patches of um fur that i had saved from you know cats which are no longer with us and it just Aww. made me feel like very i had a very bittersweet time of it just kind of like combing through all of that and it was just um it was sad in a way that you're sad that it's no longer there with you, but it's sweet in that you are glad that it happened and that you have those memories, you know? And um, yeah. that was just really lovely to um, think about those memories and those, you know, furry little, little friends of mine and you know all of that stuff and all of the the feelings that um you kind of leave in the past and so i think that's a great way to honor the crown and uh, as far as who my crone role models are i would say definitely you know doing voice acting and being kind of like a theatrical person I've really loved watching, you know, movies and TV shows and listening to radio drama. I mean, I've listened and consumed to, I've consumed so much media, um, not strictly as research, but also, you know, just 
out of entertainment, and I've learned a lot about what makes a good actor and a good performer, in my mind anyway. And I think it a part of it is the willingness to step outside of societal boxes, which kind of like dictate that you must be beautiful if you're a female performer. And so someone who is willing to embrace their cronehood, even when it's not particularly their territory, um, someone like an Amy Sedaris, who I feel has always been comfortable playing a crone, even when she herself wasn't in her crone years, you know, technically speaking, or even someone like an Angela Lansbury or a Maggie Smith, who, you know, and I don't say this disrespectfully, I say this with full honor. It's like they've always seemed old, you know, like if you look back, you're like, oh, wow, Angela Lansbury in the 60s, Angela Lansbury in the 80s, Angela Lansbury now, she'd like (laughs) never, or Dionne Warwick, you know, it's like these uh, people, they just always have this crone energy about them where they always seem mature and elegant and unafraid to uh, buck the system and, <laughs> and and play a role outside of like the, oh, I'm this beautiful, demure, you know, young ingenue. And it's like, you think of those performers and they were never really that. And I really respect that because that takes a lot of grit and um, it's it's risky, you know, because society might, they might love you and or they might really hate you for it. And um, I think Eartha Kitt is a great example. Of oh, that my God. Yes. Well, Eartha that embodiment it. of the crone energy sort of from a young age. And then also mm-hmm. she stood up to the Johnson administration. Yes. about her own disapproval of the Vietnam War and was consequently blacklisted right. by the yeah. federal government. Um, and she had to do work outside of the United States for a long time. Um, but she never gave up. And she never changed. And she never backtracked. For sure. She made Lady Bird Johnson cry. <laughs> <laughs> right, supposedly. In an interview, I think she said, you know, she... She hadn't noticed that, but like the media was trying to like dramatize it. The administration yeah. was trying to like extra villainize her by saying that she was making people cry, <laughs> 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 which is insanity. Um, but also good for her. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know what? Make Ladybird cry. <laughs> she had it coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, you brought up uh, Maggie Smith, and yeah. I was going to specifically reference like the Dowager Countess from <gasps> Downton Abbey, yes. <laughs> yes. as like a crone idol. In in as much as like, yes, obviously that character <laughs> is like problematic and has like oh, a yeah, certain right. amount of stuck <laughs> in her ways. But like ultimately, like the journey she went on was very um, dark mother overall. You know. Mm-hmm when she was just like shown the air of her ways she made some changes and rolled with the flow um yeah yeah. yeah, and another character that i would like to reference uh is moira rose from schitt's creek oh god um katherine o'hara obviously is amazing all the way definitely all day yeah yeah 
Yes. And um, again, this is like another character that like she kind of started out like um, death mothery and transitioned to dark mother uh, in the way that she was like sort of like really self-absorbed and like not mothering at all. And, you know, is facing this, you know, face this humongous change of their family losing That's all so, of their money. That is so true. And I think such a great insight. <laughs> That's like so <laughs> accurate. That character arc yeah. is completely, completely that story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that her, especially the way that she, there's, you know, there's nothing about the Moira Rose character that is, you know, well, there is a part where she like, <laughs> I believe like she was going to play like a 40 year old in a, in a, in a movie <laughs> yeah. or something like that. But, you know, that little tidbit aside, generally like, you know, she's not a, um, I need to do everything possible to not look like I'm aging despite being an actress, you know, despite that being what yeah. society wants from her. I feel like she mostly just is at war with the struggle to stay, like, relevant and to still yeah. dominate her field. Which is a very... Field. Yeah, that's, in, that's super crony, like, the yeah. struggle yeah. to stay relevant. Um, and, of course, totally freaking fabulous. Oh, girl. And funny, so funny. Mm. <laughs> yes, wise old women have amazing senses of humor. Yes. Let's, let us not forget you know, that element to the crone, too. Yeah. I mean, and we can't, you know, do a crone episode without mentioning the Golden Girls. And ah, yes. how they revolutionized, you yes. know, uh, the media world, you know. Mm -hmm. The first show, really, where it was an all-female all ensemble and a uh, all-crone ensemble. They were all older women, mm -hmm. and they proved that, you know what? These characters are interesting. These people's lives are interesting. Just because you hit a certain, you know, age doesn't mean that you become this boring piece of disposable nonsense, you know? Mm -hmm. You are still just as interesting people want to see your adventures they want to hear your stories they want to laugh you know at the funny parts of your existence the funny things that happen to you on your way and you know they want to cry with you through the 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 trials and the tribulations and they want to grow with you and see what you do in these situations so that they can kind of like you know um emulate that in a way and i mean they were all different people different characters you had dorothy who was like the intelligent you know no nonsense sarcastic one you had blanche who was still very much into her um sexuality and sensuality and was still a very vivacious woman you know lots of dates lots of action you had rose who was kind of the innocent naive but very kind, friendly, sweet woman. And then you had Sophia, who was like the crone of crones, who was like this tough as nails, wise old lady who just said whatever came into her mind. <laughs> yeah. And you you just really, I've seen every single episode of that show with my grandma and my mom, two crones, numerous, mm -hmm. numerous times. And we've just enjoyed it so much. It's... um. 
And I think so many people love the Golden Girls. They've been universal proof in our society, at least, that, you know, just because you are a crone doesn't mean that your race is run and that you don't have stories to tell that are completely fascinating and fabulous. Yes. Definitely. And also, you know, I think that show, I think you mentioned this uh, before, but the the fact that it portrayed these crone figures as each having a variety of different facets to their personalities and each one mm-hmm. completely different and not just the characteristic one faceted old undesirable <laughs> hag yeah. character um and i had like a big long list of people uh you two mentioned some of them but um i think harriet tubman is mm-hmm. like possibly <laughs> one of the ultimate examples of someone who took that ferocity that crone ferocity and like ran with it and consequently saved other humans <laughs> from yes. death and mistreatment um and you know she also suffered a traumatic brain injury early on in her life which in my opinion, is kind of like becoming old before your time. Having Mm, to deal with that kind of struggle from a young age and then to accomplish the things that she accomplished anyway is just mind-boggling to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Super badass. Another one is Katherine Hepburn, who I love. Um, Uh. Octavia Butler... Sophia Loren, mm-hmm. Maya Angelou, oh, you know, Still I Rise, uh, Toni Morrison, Annie Lennox, Cher, Laurie Anderson, Mary Oliver, another uh, poet that I really like who's a crone is Kay Ryan, and very, um, you know, the as we talked about before, the crondom, I think, transcends gender and so i also have uh john waters and i feel that ian mckellen has some crone (gasps) oh god yes angelica houston maxine waters ruth bader ginsburg uh cassandra peterson aka elvira Elvira. betty davis who will scare you you know she'll scare you um <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg, Paula Poundstone, James Baldwin, I feel. All of these people, they did embody the crone uh ferocity while they were and wisdom while they were uh young also. You know, James Baldwin, he was just sixty-three. Um tell me you know, like watch a video of James Baldwin speaking and tell me that you don't <laughs> feel that crone energy radiating. David Bowie, also. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lori Cabot. Mm, yes, the Witch of Salem. Yes. Marina Abramovic, who um, is a, a really amazing, 
fierce artist. She has been for, I think, 20 plus years. And I also feel like Bernie Sanders has a little bit of Oh my god. You know that, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in that mittens picture. Yes. (laughs) Of him. That, uh, I think everyone can relate to. We can, like, feel it. And I really want one of those sweatshirts. I really genuinely (laughs) do. Um, and then I think always making the top of my list, which is why I saved him for last, Quentin Crisp. Um, just a prime example of that crone energy. You know, he was born on Christmas Day, in fact, in 1908, and he died in November in 1999, um, you know, just a month before his birthday, and still within the holiday season, which I feel is like kind of interesting (laughs) based Mm -hmm. on all of these winter witches and like Christmas witches and things um, I don't think that Quentin Crisp identified as a witch but um, he definitely inhabited a persona that was very witchy with his uh, Victorian hairdo and dyeing the sides of it purple um, (laughs) living a life that led him to be famous basically for being himself and never conforming, never altering course. And um, he faced a lot of violence, I believe, in his life before he came to the U.S. and probably even after he came to the U.S. And he persisted through all of that and he remained friendly enough (laughs) that he would actually leave his phone line open to strangers and pick up the phone and just talk to them and um, for hours you know and he was incredibly eloquent every other sentence I feel is uh, like a a crone wisdom tagline if you listen to him speak and you can find a lot of interviews on YouTube But, um... This is Psycheo with another note post-recording regarding Quentin Crisp. Quentin lived most of his life identifying as a gay man. However, in the year of his death, he had written the following in a book titled The Last Word, which would be published later. Having labeled myself homosexual and having been labeled as such by the wider world, I have effectively lived a gay life for most of my years. Consequently, I can relate to gay men because I have more or less been one for so long, in spite of my actual fate of being that of a woman trapped in a man's body. I refer to myself as homosexual without thinking because of how I have lived my life. If you are reading this and are gay, think of me as one of your own even though you now know the truth. If it's confusing for you, think how confusing it has been for me these past 90 years. For this reason, people will sometimes use non-binary pronouns for Quentin in an effort to respect his identity. However, because he never changed his pronouns during his life, I think it's difficult to decide what he would have wanted. It seems more likely to me 
that he would have preferred to be known in the public eye as a trans woman. But we can't ask him. For this reason, we used the pronouns for Quentin that he had used his entire life, but would also like to honor Quentin's full identity, as referenced in this last writing. I do have a couple of quotations <laughs> that I want to close out with, but before we go to those, I just want to say that we're living in a time during which people, especially folks who don't fit or thrive easily within the white heteronormative capitalist patriarchal architecture of society, of the status quo are claiming their own identities and claiming their own inherent value in the world despite a long storied history of marginalization, oppression, sexism, racism, homophobia, transphobia, and we're on the brink here in a time in the world where I think it's worth celebrating the progress that we make with regards to the pandemic and social justice and, you know, just little victories in our lives. But it's also worth maintaining that solstice witch brand of ferocity. And when there's a global pandemic trying to kill us, trying to literally kill everyone, um, and there's a battle going on between the protectors of the earth, the traditional stewards of the land, and people who would seek to recklessly destroy any nature in their path toward their mission of wealth and power. I think we need our inner crones to see this decade, this century through, in order to come out on the other side of it with anything of value remaining. And it might require sweeping down from the mountains every holiday season to terrify people. And your version <laughs> of that could be anything at all, really, as long as it means you aren't disappearing and you aren't withering away in the wake of the hardships that you face. So this holiday season, refuse to be erased, refuse to be diminished with time get vaccinated, refuse to die off, become a fierce and powerful ice god who scares people, and be so annoying that saints and monks complain about you later, or, you know, become stone under the ice. <laughs> you know, still she persisted, um, reclaiming my time. I am once again asking you, I dissent, <laughs> you know, Keep it up and embody that crone hood. And for some further inspiration <laughs> in staying firm, I'd like to offer a couple of quotes from Quentin Crisp. Persistence is your greatest weapon. It is in the nature of barriers that they fall. Do not seek to become like your opponents. You have the burden and the great joy of being outsiders. Every day you live as a kind of triumph. This you should cling onto. 
You should make no effort to try and join society. Stay right where you are, give your name and serial number, and wait for society to form itself around you. Because it most certainly will. Neither look forward where there is doubt or backward where there is regret. Look inward and ask not if there is anything outside that you want, but whether there is anything inside that you have not yet unpacked. That was beautiful. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? And by the way, <laughs> Quentin Crisp also said to a handsome young man on the street, <laughs> What's the matter, sexy? Don't you like dehydrated fruit? <laughs> so think about that one as you enjoy your holiday fruitcake <laughs> this holiday season. Oh, that's wonderful. Happy winter solstice, everybody. <laughs> Happy winter solstice. Happy Yule. Yes. Merry Yule tidings. Merry Yule tide. Beware and be well. Beware and be well. Beware and be well. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'd like to hear your thoughts. When I was over at my... Perfect for an ego. I'm going to eat or a waffle a the whole time episode. I talk. So, well, that's uh, all I've got. Please continue. Okay. <laughs> it's the waffle episode. Yeah, I love Where waffles. we all eat waffles and talk in our worst New Jersey accents the whole time. I agree. I agree. You could also burn yourself. You could very easily burn yourself doing that. You you fool, you. (laughs) (laughs) And pineapple on pizza is delicious. I don't care. Fight me, bro. Off the air. I don't know. I've never tried it. I really love me a good fluffy waffle. It's Belgian, it's golden, it's crispy and delicious. <laughs> them so fluffy with syrup for kisses, chocolate and blueberries. I love it so much. Yeah. Picked it as an ugly crone. I got some gravy on the stove. Actually, that's more of a like. <laughs> That's more of a Philadelphia thing. Like a gazpacho or maybe cucumber, (laughs) but I don't know if those are really eaten outside of the summer. Wow! Makes you think. And I said, wow! 
wow. I said to myself, no, 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 that's right. <laughs> Image is still frozen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> and there she'll stay frozen for all time. <laughs> Isn't that kind of special? I think so. <laughs>